Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to a new, the first episode of Chana's Chat. Today, we will be chatting about ecological footprints, the environment, my ecological footprint, my impact on the environment, my lifestyle choices that impact the environment. Um, also, we'll be sort of narrowing in on food, the food system and diet, uh, as you'll see later. That was a huge part of my ecological footprint, um, and I was pretty surprised by that. So we'll be diving into that, the food system in general, uh, the impact that that industry has on the environment, and also some of the nuances of diet changes um, and food consumption throughout the world. I'll also be discussing the sort of average footprint of a New York City resident versus that of the average in the United States um, as a New Yorker myself and you know feeling very identified with being from New York. Uh, it was important for me to explore um, the specific impact of a New Yorker, how we are better or worse, how we could do better as a city, and why our footprint is different than those uh, like those throughout others throughout the US. Um, so yeah. So before I dive into my own ecological footprint, I just want to familiarize you guys and define what the ecological footprint is. So the ecological footprint measures the demand on and supply of natural resources. Um, it measures the ecological assets that a population requires to produce the resources it consumes and compares that figure to the amount of waste it produces. It also measures the time it takes to consume and regenerate these resources. So for a person, it's just the ecological assets that that person requires to produce the resources it consumes and regenerates. So it's not just the resources you consume, but I think it also takes into account what is required to produce the things that you consume. And another key term that I just feel would be important to define is biocapacity. So that is the productivity of a city, state, or nation's ecological assets. That includes cropland, grazing land, forest land, fishing grounds, built up land. So all of our natural resources that are used in producing these things that we then consume. Another important concept that I think I should touch on is the idea of an ecological deficit. So an ecological deficit is when a population is using more resources than it regenerates or creates. Um, and the only way that society really is currently surviving uh, an ecological deficit is because there are only deficits in some countries, while other countries have what are called ecological reserves. So if you don't know, America is a country with a huge ecological deficit. Um, and then there are other countries where there are reserves, where there are natural resources that are completely untouched. Um, there's also something called ecological overshoot. So that is the point at which our society ha is, has used more than nature can regenerate in any given year. So the original Earth Overshoot Day was in late September of the year 2000, and was actually moved to, to July 29th, 2021. Um, and I thought that's very interesting because, I mean, already it's 2022, 
So we have, in theory, passed our overshoot day. Um, and I'm interested in knowing and curious of what the next sort of date will be. So for me to personally understand my ecological footprint on my individual level, I took the Global Footprint Network's um, ecological footprint quiz of sorts, um, their footprint calculator. And during this quiz, they asked a lot of different questions about my lifestyle choices. So they began by asking about diet. Um, and diet and food consumption was the large, had the largest impact on my footprint. Um, I consume animal-based products daily. Um, I eat a bacon, egg, and cheese every morning. I drink tea with milk. Um, however, I do, I, you know, I'm lucky enough to eat good quality meat, um, unprocessed, unpackaged, locally sourced meat some of the time, but again, I go out to eat, I eat meat at restaurants, I eat meat at bodegas, I eat meat at, you know, from the food cart. So I don't know where all of this meat is coming from. And most likely, like most of the meat in America, it's not the best quality, or it's coming from, you know, this industrial uh, food system that is mistreating animals and also creating a lot of carbon emissions and waste and pollution. So that is a huge part of my ecological footprint, not just because, oh, I'm eating meat, but what is behind that meat that I'm consuming? Um, so what resources are being used behind that meat that I then consume? Um, and I think that's really important for us to think about as individuals is we're not, you know, everything is not just what is right in front of us. That product has to get to us through the supply chain, has to be produced, has to, the materials have to be sourced, the land has to be, uh, you know, used or, or processed in its own way for that product to ultimately reach our shelves and reach our homes. And then after that product reaches our shelves and homes, there are byproducts post-consumption, you know, you think about packaging um, and waste. So that was the initial question. Then they move on to housing. Uh, so the type of home you live in, the energy that supplies your home, the materials used in the creation of your home. So I live in a uh, condominium that is made primarily of steel. And I live in a four person home. So four people, including myself. Um, it's about 2,400 square feet. Um, and it's a luxury condominium. So it has a lot of people housed in one building um, and a lot of people, you know, consuming energy in this one space. So this ecological footprint calculator touches on a lot of aspects, um, including, you know, just consumption in general. How much do you, how often do you buy new pieces of clothing, new electronics? Do you recycle, etc., etc.? Uh, how, you know, what is your transportation like? Do you primarily use a bike, a car, public transportation? So that also played a role. And I think I live pretty sustainably, mostly taking public transportation. Um, my family is big on recycling and composting um, and also just not consuming so much. Um, my family doesn't 
buy a lot of stuff. I think out of my family, I'm probably the person who buys the most things. Uh, we don't redecorate. We don't update our electronics every single year. So we live fairly sustainably as a family. We don't create a lot of trash. I think we take out our trash every like two weeks um, because most of the trash that we do produce ends up in the recycling and then all of our food waste goes into our compost bin. Um, and that's something I've been doing since I was really young, which is also great because I, you know, am well trained in how to properly recycle and compost. And even with this fairly sustainable lifestyle, um, with my family, you know, a good amount of people living in a not huge space, us being pretty energy conscious and, cons you know, consumption conscious, if everyone on the planet lived like I do, we would need 4.2 Earths. Um, I think this was surprising to me, but not hugely so because I don't feel like I live the most sustainable lifestyle. Um, I think like other Americans, I'm used to the consumerism. You know, I live in an apartment. I live in a very, I live in a city, so I wasn't shocked. Another interesting data point that the footprint calculator provides once you reach the end of the quiz is the amount of global hectares of Earth's productive area that are needed to support your lifestyle. So for me, that was 6.9 global hectares. And currently, our planet has only 1.7 hectares available per person. So obviously, that's problematic and not sustainable. Um, another thing that I thought was very interesting, and this will segue into our next topic, is my different consumption categories. And the consumption category that was the largest is my food, um, mostly because I consume a large amount of meat and dairy products per week. Um, and that brings me to sort of a discussion of food systems and diet. So our food system is responsible for 26% of global emissions. And within this 26%, there are different industries that make up that percentage. So 31% of that 26 is livestock and fisheries. And that is just the on-farm impact, so not including land use and supply chain emissions. So stuff like methane production from you know livestock waste, manure management, pasture management, fuel consumption from fishing vessels, um, and just all the pollution that comes with those operations on farm. 27% of that 26 is from crop production. So corn, you know, all the things we grow on, on you know, pastures, in farms, where crops are being harvested. 20%, 21% of those crops are for human consumption and 6% are for animal feed. So you think about impacts of fertilizers, carbon emissions from machinery operation, and also practices like tilling, which aren't in and of themselves carbon emitting. You don't you know, emit carbon when you till, but it destroys the ability of the land to sequester carbon when you destroy the soil properties um, because soil itself and the natural land plays a huge part um, in carbon sequestration and 
If you're interested in this sort of topic, I'd really recommend that you watch the documentary Kiss the Ground. It goes really deeply into the farming crop production industry um, and how our society needs to sort of move towards less tilling, less fertilizers, maintaining the natural land, having crops and animals, you know, freely grow in, you know, on farms and have a multitude of varying types of crop rather than just one crop. Um, because a lot of our really rich soil has through tilling and this sort of lack of diversity of plants and lack of mixture of a you know animal life and plant life, fertile soil has become dust. And during certain uh, parts of the season, it kind of just blows away. Um, and so if we were to strengthen our soil, um, our, our actually our carbon emissions would lower because the soil would be doing this job of sequestering. Um, and so while we're thinking about, oh, okay, how do we as individuals stop carbon emissions? It's also about where do we need to make sure we are um, maintaining our carbon sinks and our car- the things that sequester carbon. Moving on, so 24% of that 26 is for land use. So again, this has to do with carbon sinks and carbon sequestration. So when we convert forests and grasslands into cropland or pasture, we are really stripping it of all of that fantastic, you know, greenery that processes this CO2 for us and creates oxygen. Um, and that when you destroy that, you actually create carbon emissions as you're, because you are destroying what is sequestering that carbon. And then finally, 18 of that 26% is, you know, are accounted for by supply chain emissions. So food processing, food transport, food packaging, again, huge things that we don't even think about when we eat our food. And I mean, I think it's become more relevant to us because we as a country are having supply chain issues. But before the pandemic, I don't think real people were really in touch with the fact that things have to be shipped to us. They have to be, you know, truckers have to drive them cross country. Um, and again, I mean, we all kind of know about p- packaging, but even though we we deal with the packaging in our hands, we don't often think about the packaging and its later life once it's out of our hands. And I'd just like to mention that uh, I am sourcing these percentages from Our World in Data and the article Environmental Impacts of Food Production by Hannah Ritchie and Max Roser, which was published in January 2020, and it's been revised in June 2021. So this is very current and relevant information. So as you can see, when you really dive into all of the facets of the food system, it becomes really clear why it was such a huge element of my ecological footprint, because it's not just the food that's right there on my plate that's causing an issue it's the land use and the carbon emissions that are created for in the process of getting that food onto my plane um and so i think it's really you know individually just considering how much you consume how many animal products you consume per week um and thinking about how you feel about that where you get those products um 
you know, and I think what's really important, especially and what's really difficult about food systems is that food is a cultural thing. And food is also something that, you know, I'm sure we would all eat the best quality, most sustainable food if we could, but that is not possible for everyone. So again, I mean, environmental and societal issues are entangled and it's really difficult to solve either because, you know, it's just so intertwined in such a difficult way. Um, You have so much poverty and people who are impoverished can't really access always food that, you know, meat where the cows were, you know, grazing on a huge farm, you know, free range or free range eggs or this and that are, you know, less packaged, less processed foods. So just considering that as well, we need to all sort of have, be intentional, be aware, but also be aware that it's not possible for everyone to make a sustainable choice. Um, And I also, when I was thinking about food systems, I really thought about food as a cultural thing. You know, some cultures eat a lot of meat um, and a lot of dairy. And that is also an important thing to maintain. Food is a huge part of our social well-being, a part of our human connection. So I think that it's not always about eliminating certain animal products, but really focusing in on the system and how it can be improved. So like even crop production, right? That's not an animal that's being slaughtered. That's not really about animal rights, but it's creating a lot of carbon emissions just from the way that we're handling crops. So how do we rethink the way that we handle crops? How does our government aid farmers in handling their crops in the correct way? How does our government encourage proper practices. Focusing on that, I think, is really important. It does come down to the individual, but I think individuals are shackled by a lot of different aspects. So moving on from the food industry, I just wanted to discuss the average footprint of a resident of New York City compared to the average footprint of just a U.S. citizen. So the average footprint of a New York City resident is 6.1 tons, and that's according to the uh, Inventory of New York City Greenhouse Gas Emissions in 2016 report, which was done by the One New York City, uh, you know, under the One New York City Strategic Plan, which is sort of was Mayor de Blasio's, uh, you know, uh, blueprint plan for building long-term sustainability within the city and so that's 6.1 tons compared to the average footprint of a new york of a excuse me of a united states citizen which is 16 tons so this was very surprising to me because i think you'd think oh we live in a city which seems so industrial and there's so little nature our emissions must be so much farther above others in the country who live in a rural area, but it's actually the opposite. Those who live in cities create less emissions. Um, And why is this? More people in smaller spaces. So you have families in smaller apartments, or you have families just in apartments which which tend to be, you know, one story, not an entire house. Um, And also you have 
multiple families, hundreds of families in one apartment building, which occupies less space than maybe one family's suburban home would, um, and less acreage because, you know, many people have homes and then acres of land around their home for one family. So you really have this crazy amount of people in such a small space. I mean, you think about New York City, you think about Manhattan, there are millions of people walking around the city and they all go home and they all fit on this little island. And then additionally, city residents tend to have access to public transportation and also don't have to travel so far if they are in a car. Um, They travel, you know, not such far distances daily, whereas those in the suburbs probably can't even access public transportation. And then when they do, since they're forced to drive their car, have to drive, you know, half an hour to hour drives to reach their destination as things are so spaced out. Um, So that was a real epiphany for me. Uh, I didn't think that, it just doesn't make any sense, right? You think city, it's so much happening, so much being consumed, so, you know, so many lights and so much, so many buildings, not a lot of nature, but all of this sort of diluting a population to a small space actually has less of an impact than these sprawling, you know, sprawling suburbs. Also where people own more cars and just never walk and stuff like that. So that was my little exploration into ecological footprints, that of myself, that of my city, um, and also the food system, the ways that it's incredibly unsustainable but also the you know limits that we have on or the or the conditions or the caveats that we must consider when we think about making changes to our personal lives um and you know exploring this idea of what's really behind the footprint um you need to think about the industries that are behind that food on your plate or what's directly in front of you um and it's not just oh i live in a area with more trees, I'm more sustainable. Or I don't live in a city, I'm more sustainable. Obviously, that's been disproven. Um, and really thinking into lifestyle choice and how that impacts emissions um, might surprise you. So I hope this was as interesting and enlightening as it was for me. And thank you so much for listening. Bye!